welcome to The Wow, the podcast that will provide you with the tools you need to thrive in today's society. If you're new here, then hello, I'm Georgina Beasley, your host, and if you've listened before, then welcome back. Outside of hosting this podcast, I work in the suicide prevention space in a marketing and communications role in Canberra. I spend too much time socialising at the dog park with my lovely border collie Murphy and enjoy pizza on the couch with a glass of wine most Friday nights. But today we are discussing disordered eating and body image. Every day we are bombarded with thousands of different messages telling us what we should eat and how we should look. It makes it challenging and difficult for many of us to navigate the relationship between food and our body image. To understand more about the illnesses that can develop in this area and how we can support our relationship with food and our body, provisional psychologist Harriet is here to chat with us. If you enjoyed this episode as much as I did, then please remember to subscribe, leave a review, share it with your friends. And if you haven't already, you better come join us on Instagram at the wow podcast underscore. Hello, Harriet, and welcome to the Wow Podcast. Hi, Georgie. How are you? Oh, I am so well because I'm blessed with your presence today and we are going to be having a very interesting conversation, uh, which I'm looking forward to delving in with you uh, more about. But before that, I would like to begin by acknowledging the Ngunnawal people, the traditional custodians of the land I reside on here in Canberra and the Gadigal people of the country that Harriet resides on up in Sydney. I pay my respects to their elders past, present and emerging and I extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander listeners here today. So Harriet, before we really delve in, I would just like to share with the listeners um, a trigger warning because obviously we will be discussing um, eating disorders, um, disordered eating, body dysmorphia, and a lot of different, uh, I guess, elements around that kind of topic of conversation. So I would just like to warn anyone listening that if this is something, um, you know, that is triggering for you, or if you need any support that please call Lifeline um, on 13 11 14. I'll pop the number in the show notes. But now that we've got that out of the way, I would like to ask if you could tell our wonderful listeners a little bit about yourself. Of course. So my name is Harriet and I'm a provisional psychologist. So I'm in my last two years of uh, training to be a fully registered psych. I'm originally from Adelaide in South Australia and I moved to Sydney about a year and a half ago. I did a Bachelor of Laws and Psychological Sciences at the University of Adelaide and then I came to Sydney to do my honours here uh, in uh, Psychological Sciences. So at the moment, work for me, um, I work full-time at a psychology clinic. My day-to-day is report writing, assessment, liaising with stakeholders and delivering a range of therapies, so cognitive behavioural therapy and acceptance and commitment therapy. And my clients have uh, the following presentations, could be trauma, anxiety, obsessive compulsive disorder, um, depression. There's a little bit of eating disorders and body dysmorphia uh, in there as well, which is um, my absolute passion and which we'll be diving into today. So that's a little bit about me. I love it when people like go out of their way to make their jobs something that help others. I think it's just so 
fantastic that you're like, you know, dedicating your career to really assisting and helping others. And I know that you're very passionate yourself about raising awareness about eating disorders and and body dysmorphia. And so been chatting for a while about having you on the podcast and really delving into this issue because it's an issue that so many of us can face and probably so many of us can face unknowingly, like not even being aware that these kind of things are infiltrating um, our minds or our space just because they're habits that can be so small but can have a really large effect. So well, I want to start with what are some of the factors that can shape and influence our relationship with our bodies? Sort of a couple that are really key um, and that the first one being societal discourses societal discourses that idolise thinness and there's a lot of them around and we are bombarded each day with with these discourses that are filled with fitness programs and diet programs uh, that are promoting promoting these programs and convincing us that we need to to buy them to achieve this um, skinny this skinny body the classic bikini body um, mm-hmm. you know fitness workout program that all of us have been sold at some point in our lives yeah totally and they these are like these advertisements as well advertisements they they tap into our emotions and they heighten our securities and they make us feel like we really need these products Uh, and they convince us at least they try to and most of the time they do that if they do um if they do sell us this product and we and we use it that we'll be happy and we'll have this new body. Um, but often these programs just end up fueling negative attitudes and feelings that we have towards ourselves and our bodies as we strive strive to achieve something that's um, potentially not what is our natural body size. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it is quite terrifying. When you when you think of how far we've come in recognising this, I mean, it's so grateful that, you know, I think the children of today face a completely different kettle of fish when it comes to these kind of issues, because I mean, for me, I I was so lucky, um, you know, I didn't, TikTok wasn't around, um, instant, like the term influencer was unheard of, but it was, you know, the toxic magazine culture, um, the real prevalence of like fat shaming and body shaming in like media and that just being completely normalized. And I think that's like, it's almost like you just don't realize how many messages are being sent to you that are making you feel self-conscious about the way that you look or what you are eating. It's like, you don't even pick up, but we were getting, and we are, we do get thousands of messages a day that we witness that are telling us that we need to look a certain way, which can obviously that you see many people come into your clinic with um, a range of different issues. What are some of the illnesses people can face when it comes to relationships with their body and food and, like, what do they look like? So there's four key ones. Um, This list obviously isn't exhaustive, but um, the first one being body dysmorphia. So that looks like persistent and intrusive preoccupation with an imagined or minor defect in appearance. So someone is obsessed with a flaw in the way they look Um, and they might say, I do not like my legs, 
I can't go out in public looking like this. People will notice them. People will judge them. When really in reality, there's nothing wrong with their legs at all. Their legs are fully functioning, beautiful legs. So it's um, these thoughts are getting quite intrusive thoughts uh, about this, this defect and it really impairs their, their day-to-day functioning and can prevent them from going out in public and, and living their life. Um, anorexia nervosa. So that is an eating disorder characterised by an intense fear of gaining weight which usually results in a consistent reduction in food intake and then a severe reduction in body weight. Distorted body image as well. So, again, this person perceives themselves as larger than what their uh, body max index is suggesting. Uh, Usually individuals with anorexia nervosa engage in excessive activity as well. So anorexia nervosa is the mental illness with the highest mortality rate. So we're looking around 10 to 15%. So it's um, it's something that we're really grappling with. And the issue with anorexia nervosa is a lot of um, individuals with AN, uh, so I call it AN, are reluctant to seek treatment because therapy would involve this multidisciplinary team working to increase the individual's weight. And these eating disorder behaviours, so these weight loss behaviours, safeguard the individual from putting on weight. So it's a lot of um, ambivalence. Uh, and so it's a, it's a really, really hard disorder to treat, but it's really my life mission to work with, with people with this disorder. The other one is binge eating disorder. So that's a psychological illness characterised by frequently eating excessive amounts of food in relatively short periods of time. And the binging often feels really uncomfortable and it causes clinical distress. So it's not just having, you know, five cookies and a muffin. It's the whole packet of cookies. It's a whole cake. It leaves people extremely, extremely uncomfortably full, really anxious, um, feeling a lot of shame. And usually the binge eating is actually secondary to a primary emotion. So that emotion being shame, distress, sadness, loneliness, quite often people will use the food to feel and they, they feel empty and they're using the, the food to, to sort of fill themselves because um, it's quite an easy way to do it. So it gives you this temporary pleasure, but straight after the binge usually it just ends up causing a lot of distress. So therapy would involve educating um, the client on this binge cycle uh, and trying to sort of short circuit that so that they, they don't do it again but it the therapy again would really really tap into those emotions that are driving those eating behaviors and then the last one's bulimia nervosa so that's characterized by binge eating episodes and then episodes of purging so someone will binge as we just touched on then and then the purging would involve vomiting laxative use or excessive exercise and the function of that behavior is to get rid of the excess calories that the individual consumed during the binge okay so again therapy focuses on breaking that cycle identifying what is driving those binge behaviors in the first place 
I mean, it's just, it's, it's quite confronting when you think like, I think when people think eating disorder, they view it as one type of illness, but I mean, your explanation just there shows how broad and broad reaching it is. And, and it can really affect people in so many different ways. I'm quite like, I think typically when people say eating disorder, you think young, female, skinny, but like now there's a lot of rhetoric that's obviously explaining that that's not the case. So can this happen at any age? Like what age does this typically happen at? Like can young kids in primary school um, develop these issues? And, you know, is it common in men as well? Yeah, and the race, look, the research is definitely showing that it's most prevalent in adolescent women because of these influences from society, these expectations, these need, these needs to attract people and, um, you know, enhance their self-image and obviously the rise in social media and comparison culture, mm. that stuff is, is driving that. So it's definitely more prevalent in women between the ages of, say, getting as young as like 12 yeah, wow. 20, 25, uh, 26, 27, but it can affect anyone, affect absolutely anyone. And it's um, body dysmorphia is becoming um, very common as well in, in males. Performance enhancements is huge and bodybuilding and this obsession with um, muscle mass, um, which is leading to, yeah, men taking steroids and a lot of other um drugs to enhance the way they look to enhance their muscle mass to enhance their performance and the effect of these um these drugs on the brain can often result in other sort of psychological um disturbances Mm. so So what does discriminate (laughs) yeah no well i mean i think that's so important because i think when sometimes we can be maybe oblivious um to look at people who I don't know aren't as size six tiny little girl and think oh but they wouldn't be facing those problems and I think that can be a real limitation in um, our thought processes like we really need to be aware that these kind of conditions can affect people of all ages all sizes and all genders really so I think that's like it's it's nice that you touch on that but what are some of the you know key signs and symptoms uh, that we might see in someone who is struggling with their relationship with food or their body? So in terms of food, it would be cutting out food groups for reasons other than you know being allergic to a food or having a specific health condition. Uh, so they could you know cut out all carbohydrates which includes breads and pastas and, I mean, carbs actually includes vegetables as well. But, you know, a lot of people think, oh, those dense, dense carbs, those breads, those pastas will cut them out uh, or cutting out fats, avocados, all that kind of thing and sugars and, and whatnot. So it could be cutting out food groups. It could be being obsessed with healthy trends. So there's this thing called clean eating and celery juice and and all that stuff (laughs) that starts to um, emerge in societal discourses um, much more frequently than it it has ever done. And those, those obsessions, constantly having to read up about it and 
you know, you had their celery juice each day, things like that. Um, just general heightened anxiety around food, avoiding social situations where they may have to eat in front of people. So often people with an eating disorder can fear eating in front of other people. Uh, they may prefer to eat by themselves. Uh, so there's just those social uh, cues to look out for. Things like weighing your food, counting calories as well, um, going to the toilet during meals or after meals sometimes can be a sign of people potentially vomiting. Um, so those are some, some things to be aware of when it comes to the food. With regards to body, would be, again, being preoccupied with those perceived flaws in appearance that other people can't see or notice. So a friend could say, I hate the size of my stomach when there's obviously nothing wrong with it. And intense problematic beliefs that their appearance is just overall flawed and they don't want to go out. Um, believing that others are looking at you as well is, a, is another one and being afraid, thinking, oh, everyone's looking at me, everyone's noticing the way I look or getting really, really anxious about that when really there's no evidence for that. You know, a friend could be like, well, no one's looking at you. But it's just that that real preoccupation with this, this intrusive thought that someone's doing that and things like body checking behaviours. So if you notice someone constantly standing in front of the mirror, looking at themselves, um, evaluating what they look like, making judgmental comments uh, about the way they look or constantly saying, I'm this, I'm that, I hate myself, I need a diet, I need this. It, those, those are signs that someone may be experiencing a disordered relationship with their body because they're perceiving it in ways that are um, false. Mm -hmm. I'm going to move on. I have, um, we got actually a really big range of listener questions, which was so fascinating um, and fantastic. So thank you to everyone that sent some in. Um, a lot of them we're already going to cover. So I will just um, ask Isabel's question and she wanted to know, can, like, can you prevent eating at an eating disorder? I wouldn't say you could prevent it. I think that we need to start educating young women and young men from the age of seven or eight about eating disorders, about diet culture, about enhancing your relationship with food, enhancing your relationship with exercise, what a healthy relationship with food or exercise looks like. I think that's what we need to do and we need, need to get these discourses, this education package in young so that kids have exposure to that. And we also need to educate families. The mums and dads of these children, uh, it's really, really important that, for example, parents uh, don't spend lots of time commenting, commenting excessively on the way a child looks and attaching a child's value to their ex like external appearance or making weight loss comments or just comments on the way a child looks. For example, I, my grandma said to me at the age of 13 that I had chunky thighs. And, and you still remember that today? I still remember that today. And that's, that's what influenced me to become a runner 
and get a bit obsessed with running. So really to, to, to summarise, educating these kids from a young age about what healthy relationships with food and exercise look like and also educating parents about how to create a really um, safe environment when it comes to these sort of things and what to look out for. Mm-hmm. Eva wants to know what your top three tips would be to control negative thoughts um, that might be coming into your mind around, uh, you know, issues with your body or food. I'll just ask for your high level tips because I think we'll be discussing this further as we progress. So, yeah. We're definitely going to unpack this. I think the most important thing when it comes to these intrusive thoughts is to know that they could come in. So, like recognising an intrusive thought. So, oh, there's that thought coming in saying that I don't look good today and then just parking it to the side, letting it sit there, not even entertaining it, all right? If we don't entertain it, it's not going to have much weight on us. So recognition. And then if we have the mental capacity challenging that thought, weighing weighing up the, the costs and benefits of thinking in that way, looking for the evidence, is there any evidence that I don't look good today? Absolutely not, because we won't let there be. Um, so again, it's recognition. And then if we if we feel like we have that that mental capacity to look at some cognitive restructuring. So is that you mean um, like going to therapy, seeing a psychologist, or getting support? Is that what you mean by the cognitive therapy? Yeah, of course. So going and seeing a psychologist and getting some support um, and learning some different techniques and things to say to oneself when those thoughts do come in. I guess what I meant by cognitive restructuring, sorry, it's very, it's a psychological term. It's, it's really identifying those thoughts and engaging in that process of why am I thinking this way? What is underpinning my way of thinking? Uh, what, what can I do to make that thought have less on less of an impact on me and so then we look at either parking it or replacing it with a healthier alternative so a healthier alternative would look like and I will touch I will touch on this later is I'm going to appreciate my body today I may be having a thought that my body is not looking amazing but that's okay I'm going to appreciate my body today for what it can do. I think this leads quite nicely into our next conversation because, I mean, there was a few other um, questions that were sent in and one um, one was from Maddie and that was about, you know, navigating how can we get over body dysmorphia. And I think this next conversation is going to feed into that nicely. So I want to ask you if you could explain body neutrality um, and how this can assist us. Body neutrality, it's viewing ourselves without judgment. So we don't even comment on our exterior at all. We don't even engage in body positivity, if that makes sense. So we fully accept and appreciate our body for everything it is today, for everything it was yesterday and for everything it will be tomorrow. And practicing body neutrality is really, really important because it can strengthen our relationship with our body and free us from engaging in those negative thoughts and those judgmental practices. 
because not every day you're going to fully wholeheartedly love your body and that's okay. So it's accepting that as well. There's this concept called body positivity, which is um, uh, emerging in societal discourses at the moment, which is great. Body positivity is great. But there are some days where we just don't want to engage with that. We don't feel that. And it's just easier for us to just accept that this is who we are today. We appreciate ourselves for who we are today. And we're going to live a fulfilling, fulfilling day us and our bodies, if that makes sense. Yeah. And so this kind of, this concept of body neutrality, is this something that can assist us in terms of maybe preventing eating disorders, but overcoming eating disorders as well? Like is, is kind of learning the tips of tools of um, how we can use body neutrality to help us with our relationship? Is this something that can assist us in our journey? Definitely. I think body neutrality can be used in therapy to assist people with an eating disorder. There's so many pieces in the, the puzzle of eating disorder treatment. Yeah. So and this so is just one small This is piece. just one piece of the puzzle. It's just one piece of the puzzle. And so I'd say that it's it's key for strengthening your relationship with your body and enhancing that. So I use it in the context of, of that being the one of the a foundation or, or a pillar that can assist you. Yeah. Yeah. And so can you give us like three points to work on when it comes to achieving this? Because often, you know, the concept of, um, you know, of body neutrality, it's, it's all well and good to say like, oh, it's, you know, it's just doing this, but sometimes actually putting it into work can be hard. So what are some tips that we can do to kind of work on this? totally all about practical tips yeah so th- three things to practice is viewing yourself without judgment so don't even comment on the way that you look do not purposely stand in the mirror and body check and evaluate your body shape or comment on your body size just don't even engage with that so it's just viewing yourself without judgment focusing on what your body can do not what it looks like so appreciating your legs for their ability to run and walk, you know, appreciating your heart for its ability to keep on beating, to keep you alive and your eyes for their ability to see. So things like that, really, really like identifying what you love to do in your life, whether that be sport or socialising or working or identifying those things and going, my body allows me to do that. And that's pretty incredible. And it works for you unconditionally. Your body will keep you alive, even if you say awful things to it. So, which you're not going to do when you practice body neutrality. Um, so, yeah, focusing on what your what what your body can do, the function that it serves. And then um, we touched on this briefly before, but separating yourself from your intrusive thoughts. So, for example, if you have a thought that comes in. And the thought is, I do not like my body today. We can say to yourself, I'm having this thought. And I notice that I'm having this thought and recognizing that thoughts are not facts. This is a process of separation. We use it a lot in acceptance and commitment therapy. So we're diffusing ourselves um, from our cognitions. And when you separate yourself from a thought, 
that thought won't have as much weight on you anymore. All right. And then I did touch on, on challenging those thoughts as well. So you could say, I do not like my body today. That thought can be challenged with, I have the capacity to appreciate my body and I will appreciate my body for what it can do today. Does that make sense? Yeah, I know it does. And it, it's, yeah, I can see that how this kind of stuff, if we do practice it and make it, you know, something that we do every single day and make sure that we're checking in on ourselves, um, how it can assist in strengthening that relationship that you do have with your body. Um, on the flip side, what's food neutrality? So it's pretty similar. So food neutrality is viewing food without judgment. Mm. So perceiving food as just food, not attaching morals to food, values, emotions, attitudes, anything like that. And then when we view food in this way, it will minimise the likelihood that we attach unhelpful emotions and attitudes towards foods. And when we do that, hopefully we work at strengthening that that relationship we have, that real healthy relationship with food. Mm. So when you're talking about, um, you know, not adding attitudes or morals or values to food, could you give an example as to what that might be or what that might look like? Yeah, of course. So we often develop this fear around foods that we deem to be bad. So I don't want to really contribute to the discourse. I'm not going to, you know, give examples of typical bad foods, but just viewing a food as bad, as evil, because we feel that it could make us gain weight or something like that. Um, And when we do view, I said, as I said, we view food in this way, then get that unhelpful emotional response, that fear, that anxiety around a food that's deemed to be bad. So is that just on the flip side then, if you're not perceiving it as bad, are we just looking at food as, you know, fuel for the body and 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 not attaching any kind of other labels to it? Totally. So it's about perceiving all foods in a similar light and viewing it as exactly what you said, food, fuel for the body, stuff that keeps us alive. Um, and I will touch on um, some ways to achieve food neutrality and um, some things to say to oneself um, to help achieve this. Um, yeah, please, please yeah. share them. I would love yeah. that. <laughs> uh, so as I said, avoid describing food in good or bad terms. So, again, that could look like describing foods as treats or cheat foods. Mm, cheat just day cheat days just get rid of that language because our society's filled with it you know by advocating for cheat foods and cheat meals people think they're being healthy and promoting balance and flexible dieting right but I actually think arguably that they're contributing to this discourse that says well some foods are, are good and bad some for you bad. yeah right so I recognize it is important to acknowledge though that some foods are more nutritious than others so I do definitely recognize that but when it comes to healing a disordered relationship with food it is really important to view food as simply just food and knowing that you can have everything in moderation 
So that's tip number one, just talk about all foods on the same playing field. No food is better than the other uh, or is more evil than the other. It's all just <laughs> food. Uh, Honour your cravings and act on your hunger and fullness and respect those internal cues, okay? So mindful eating is really, really, really important in this space. So bringing awareness to our bodies, all right, I see a lot of women get put on these restrictive diets and they consequently lose touch with reality. They lose touch with their hunger and fullness cues. So it's really important that when you are practicing food neutrality to really be in tune with those senses and let your body guide you in terms of what you want to eat and how much you want to eat. I think that's really, really important. Um, I often say express gratitude as well towards food when you are engaging in mindful eating because food, yeah, keeps us alive. It's really, really important. And you don't earn the right to eat. It's a basic need. You know, you have it. Um, it's, a, it's a right you possess from birth in order to survive. And the last thing I will say is challenging distorted beliefs around food. Okay, so common one is I can't eat after 7 p.m. because I'll gain weight. I've heard that a few times. And then I think, well, what's the evidence for that? You know, replace that thought with I can eat whenever I'm hungry, my body needs it. Because if you're responding to those cues, then you're eating the right amount because that's what your body needs. And another common one is I can't eat bread I hear that said all the time and I'd say well, why why are you scared of bread what's underlining that fear is it gaining weight right and client may say client may say yeah yeah bread will make me gain weight bread won't make you gain weight eating excess excess calories will make you gain weight right mm. and then you're eating eating like five loaves of bread in a day that might <laughs> But yeah, then, And then you'd even unpack that further and you'd go, well, well, your weight fluctuates from day to day. It's okay. Yeah. And like you said before, everything in moderation. It's right. like nothing is ever bad for you as long as you have it in moderation. But I could imagine it's, I mean, as, as someone, I, I feel so lucky, um, you know, to have really strong, like I think personally body-wise, Oh, that relationship is always fluctuating because, you know, I think that's just ongoing, but I've been so lucky that I haven't had to face any troubles with my relationship with food. But for, um, you know, my friends that do, it is incredibly difficult. Um, and it is not, it is, it is something that takes a real dedication to um, getting better and overcoming those illnesses, because like I said, that they're, they're an illness and it's, and it's hard. And I, I just thank you, Harriet, for sharing, you know, some just basic ways that we can start repairing that relationship that we may have. And, you know, I think if you're listening to this and anything Harriet said has maybe spiked your interest in being like, oh, maybe that's something I do. And I didn't recognize like seeking help is always such a positive um way to start your journey in terms of healing and and you know people like Harriet they're the experts in the field and they're there to help us and you know I just um it's 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 horrible I think 
you know, seeing people suffer with these kind of disorders because they're not nice and, um, yeah, they're, they're really tough. And I know I think from the outside, from people not experiencing them, it's so easy to look at it and go, you know, for me, and the thing with bread you just said, I'm like, God, I could down a whole loaf, like fresh bread out of the oven give that to me. Like there is no way I would not eat it, but you know, I don't understand what it's like to view bread as something that is really horrible for me. And, and to even just psychologically overcome that, um, you know, negative thoughts or intrusive thoughts that someone might be experiencing. Um, yeah, I just, I just really feel for those that do struggle with this because it, it is such a hard, hard journey and you know fluctuates all the time you know you can have good days and bad days good weeks bad weeks and good months bad months and the rest of it so yeah thank you um harriet for sharing these kind of tools with us and practical tools um to help us on our journeys but i'm love to know what is the best piece of advice you've ever been taught or heard or someone gave to you when it comes to your relationship with your body and food all right I've got a I've got a couple of pieces of advice but yeah please really quickly to be honest these aren't pieces of advice that anyone's given me these are pieces of advice that I've realized learned um, learned that I've yeah answers that I was looking for all my life um that helped me with with my relationship with food and exercise so the first one so in regards to the body I often say to people your bodily organs work for you unconditionally and they touched on this earlier your body keeps you alive regardless of what you do or say to it and how much love you give it so even on the days when you don't feel 100%. And there will be days where you do not feel 100%. Appreciate your body, nurture it through daily movement and nourish it through good nutrition. So please don't, don't waste away any more days hating on your precious precious body. You've only got one life and one body. Um, in regards to food, uh, three pieces of advice. Your body's no best. No diet program or person can substitute your body in determining what and how much to eat. So please do not put your trust in anything else but your body. Okay. Never compare your plate of food with someone else's. We live in this comparison culture. It's what we do. If someone has dessert then we get dessert but if someone doesn't have dessert often we don't get dessert we all have different tastes we all have different energy requirements so let's just focus on better understanding our own because if I've gone for a 15k run that morning of course I'm going to be more hungry than someone that just got out of bed you know so just tune into that body and focus on your hunger and fullness and then last one is have self-compassion So be kind to yourself. So if you accidentally judge yourself, just recognise that you're judging yourself and say, I'm going to be kind to myself today. I'm not going to engage in any any more of these practices. I'm going to be kind to myself. Because at the end of the day, the most important relationship that you have is the one that you have with yourself. 100%. I just, they are all really, really fantastic pieces of advice. Thank you, Harriet. Like, I just, I really, I really like, um, yeah, I just really like everything that you've had to share. It's been such a pleasure having you on. Yeah, thank you so much for um, having me and sharing your platform. Mm-hmm.
Thank you so much for listening to today's episode of The Wow. I hope you enjoyed it. I release new episodes every Tuesday, so make sure you hit subscribe or follow and tune in next week. Otherwise, in the meantime, you better come join us on Instagram at thewowpodcast underscore for more updates. Lastly, a friendly reminder that the information shared in this podcast is general advice only and does not take into account your personal situation or needs. Where appropriate, please consult a professional first. Thanks, guys. Have a good week. (laughs) 